0: The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Today we're continuing our study in uh, the Gospel of Mark. And uh, as you, we've uh, been uh, reminding ourselves of is that Mark was a close friend of Peter. And, uh, and most likely Peter provided the details of... Uh, Uh, his eyewitness account of his time with Christ. And so Mark wrote to a Gentile audience, probably a Roman audience that wouldn't understand all the Jewish traditions. So he doesn't go into detail about Jewish thought and things like that as he goes through his gospel. So it seems like Mark is talking kind of a shorthand as he's speaking to his Gentile audience. So a lot of Mark's gospel goes by pretty fast because he doesn't go into a lot of detail. Well, today we're just going to kind of unlock some of the shorthand that Mark uses to describe the story. And we'll find at the heart of this really fast-paced account of Jesus' ministry. We're going to find the answers to three vital questions. As we have been looking through throughout this whole series, we've been asking the questions, and we've been getting the answers to the questions, who is Jesus? What did he come to do? And how do we respond to him? Now, this morning, we see an answer to all three of these questions portrayed to us through a dinner party. Thank you to all of you who threw dinner parties this last holiday season. And uh, you know all the work you went through. Today we're gonna talk about a dinner party and we're gonna celebrate another dinner party that you don't have to do anything to come to because Jesus Christ did it all for us. So we're gonna look at this, uh, this, this dinner party. We're gonna look at a calling. We're gonna look at a dinner party. We're gonna look at a question and then an answer that reverberates still today. So uh, this text especially emphasizes the issue of how we respond to Jesus. So as we get questions, because started here, can I ask you a question? What is it about you that makes Jesus want to have fellowship with you? I'll ask it again. What is it about you that makes Jesus want to have fellowship, intimate fellowship with you? Another way I could ask that question is if if you were to die tonight, where would you go? And why? Well, let's get into our text now. Our text has something to say about that question, and the answer is going to be surprising. Well, first, let's look at how Jesus calls Levi, someone who is completely unworthy. Well, Intrinsically, we know that we're all sinners, we all fall short, we're all unworthy, but according to Jewish society and the leaders of Jewish society, the religious leaders, Levi was completely unworthy, and um, this was their opinion. But uh, first, let's look at um, the hero of our story in all our stories. Verse 13 says, and he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. Well, who is this first person we're hearing about in the passage? It's Jesus, right? All right. And so, um, and who is Jesus? Well, uh, as we read in Mark 1:15, he is the promised king, the Messiah, who has come proclaiming his gospel. And what is his message? Well, Jesus gave us a clear, simple description of what he is about and how we are to respond. In Mark 1.15, Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled. Time for waiting is up. All the promises that they've been hearing, they're gonna get fulfilled. It's now time. The kingdom of God is here because the promised anointed king has come. He is here. God's kingdom is now the established order on planet Earth, whether the rest of the world knows it or not. And it's time to turn away from the devil, the world, and the flesh's way of thinking and operating. And Christ's kingdom is here. And Jesus is calling everyone to turn from the world and to follow and trust in him. And, uh, and believe what Jesus says and does. It's time to listen and obey him. And then as we'll look at through today's message, we're going to see how people respond to this calling and this message of king, the kingdom coming. And we're going to see that how the rules that had been set up in Jewish society at that time by the religious leaders are somehow contradictory to God's kingdom and his order and the way of doing things, although they thought they were doing what the religious leaders thought they were doing, what was right, but what was right in their own eyes. So uh, let's look at Levi. In verse 14 it says, and as he, Jesus, passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he, Levi, rose and followed him. Well, what's notable about Levi? He's a tax collector. He's the son of Alphaeus, who was maybe somebody notable at that time, so that uh, um, people uh, who are familiar with the area of Capernaum would have said, oh, yeah, Alphaeus, okay, yeah, we know him. But we're not for sure about that. But we do know Levi was a tax collector. And what this means is he was probably rejected by his family. We'll get into that in a minute. Because he pursued money at the expense of his family. He did it also at the expense of his community, he also did this at the expense of his faith practice, and really his soul too. So, what is really notable about Levi? It's his sin. And so, as a tax collector, um, it's obviously and explicitly unworthy in the public and society's opinion at that time. And uh, according to the scribes and the Pharisees, he was completely unworthy. And. Um, Here's what the rabbis of the second century wrote in their Mishnah. Now, the Mishnah is not scripture. It was the oral tradition of the religious leaders and rabbis of Israel. And they would just passed it down orally. But finally, in the second century, they said, okay, let's, let's jot down all our wonderful ideas about the way things we think things ought to be. And so they recorded it in the Mishnah. And again, uh, so it, it was handed down. And uh, this is what um, some of what is listed in the Mishnah about tax collectors. I'm not gonna read all of it because I like you. (laughs) But here's just a few things. This is just a few things of what the religious leaders felt about tax collectors at that time. These were ethnic Jews, but they weren't observant Jews. They made their profits through deception. They would make up taxes and place them on people. And because they had the force of Roman thugs behind them, they could enforce it and they could collect taxes, and they would uh, be just totally working over their local constituents mercilessly. They were lumped together with thieves and murderers, disqualified as judges or witnesses in a court of law. They were expelled from the synagogue, and they were a disgrace for any family. And even, let me put it, even if, uh, if a tax collector came and touched your house, even the doorpost, your whole house will be considered unclean. You know, if you're familiar with moles or informants from Nazi or communist regimes, you can have an, an appreciation for the real loathing that the the, uh, the Jews had for tax collectors. And so the tax collectors were seen as morally contemptuous, ritually unclean, and reminders of the Roman occupation of Palestine. So what made Levi so unworthy in society's eyes? He betrayed his God because he stole from people. He betrayed his people because he worked with the the Roman occupiers, and he betrayed moral standards. He was rejected by the Jewish religious leaders. He was outside the synagogue so he could cheat, steal, lie, do whatever he wanted, who knows what else, without him with with impunity. And so he was basically unworthy, according to the students of Jewish law, the Torah. But... Jesus comes along after teaching at the lakeside. He sees Levi, and he specifically looks at him at the tax booth and calls him. And because Jesus is God, he has the ability to really see Levi. You know how, like, we go to the doctors, and we say, what do we say? We've been seen by the doctor. He's examined us, he's evaluated us. And much in the same way, we can think about how Jesus saw Levi and Jesus knew what exactly was going to cure Levi's disease of his sin and so Jesus offers the prescription and the cure Jesus calls Levi to follow him and now this was this was unthinkable that a Jewish rabbi would call a tax collector to be part of his group, part of his band of disciples. And that just totally outraged the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, earlier, Jesus, remember, willingly reached out and touched a leper, a uh, medically and socially um, outcast individual, but now Jesus is really gonna double down. Okay, it was bad enough he touched the leper, now he's going worse. Now Jesus doubles down, And be even more scandalous, he invites a worse social outcast than the leper, a tax collector, to follow him. Why? Well, like I said, this is gonna be the answer to healing Levi's greatest disease, and our disease as well. And what Jesus calls Levi to is close relationship, a full fellowship with him. Jesus will, uh, Levi uh, will be later known by his Greek name, Matthew. And he'll be one of the 12 who will be with Jesus. He'll even write one of the Gospels, as you know. But in this fellowship that Jesus is called Levi to, it's one where he's going to walk with Jesus, eat with Jesus, pray with Jesus, learn from Jesus, and be loved by Jesus. And eventually, Jesus is going to die for him and pay for his sins on the cross Levi was being called to leave his life of sin and the disease of the heart behind. And now he calls him to know and love and live for Jesus and be with Jesus. And what's amazing here maybe Peter being a fisherman, he didn't go into great details he didn't go into any like, oh, here's my inner Levi's inner turmoil where Levi sits and thinks, hmm, let me think about this. Hmm, I don't know, you know, let me weigh the pros and cons. No. Levi gets up and immediately leaves his life of sin behind. He gets up, he leaves the tax booth and the tax collector life behind him. And Levi then ties himself. He joins himself to be with Jesus, to live for Jesus and follow Jesus. And so this is, this is, this is the mind blower for the religious leaders of the day. Jesus calls the completely and explicitly unworthy to be his followers. And uh, who are the completely, explicitly unworthy people of our world today? Congratulations, all of us. You're part of the club. Jesus came for you. He came for me. And now here's the good news for everyone back then and you and me today. Jesus is happy to spend time with all sorts of undeserving sinners. In uh, verse 15 in chapter 2, we continue our story, and he says, and as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Um, Let me help you out with the, that's the ESV version. The uh, Christian Standard Bible um, offers a little more help. Um, It says, while he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples. Um, The original language um, also tells us that these dinner guests were not sitting, but they were reclining. Now, in Jewish society, reclining at table, that was a feast. This is a special occasion. This is something that was really um, uh, just a total uh, fabulous, lavish event. And so Levi's first response upon joining himself to Jesus was he says to all his tax collector buddies, hey, come check out what I found. I have found Jesus. This guy's the Messiah. He's the promised one we've been waiting for. I've had something amazing happen to my life. Come to my house. We're going to have a party, and Jesus is going to be the guest of honor. And so uh, the tax collectors come. All kinds of people come. Jesus comes. All his followers come to the table. And some, when you look at this passage, there's an, um, kind of implication about table fellowship. Table fellowship was kind of a big deal back in uh, Jewish culture. And uh, it basically, um, it was the basis of uh, how the Jews um, defined themselves, made themselves special. Um, and Jewish table fellowship rejected people based on their deserving. So it was very an exclusive thing for Jewish culture uh, in who they invited to table. Because if in Jewish culture, if we sit down together to have a meal, it means we are accepted by one another. We're friends, we're pals, we agree with one another. But um, um, in the Jewish society at the time, Jesus, let's see, oh, I got ahead of myself here. In the, in, but in, in Jewish society, um, you know, Jesus had been part of table fellowship before, but now he's turned the table on it. He, has, he invites w- where Jews were um, explicit, J- J- um, Jesus is inclusive. And uh, he's inviting people to take part in his community. And uh, again, as the Jews, they saw table fellowship as a way to just strengthen their exclusiveness and their superiority Um, And it was unimaginable for a Jew to sit at the table with people like Samaritans, tax collectors, sinners, lepers, and all those considered to be impure. Um, Because, uh, again, like I said, it was a, a movement towards exclusiveness and otherness. Well, what's Jesus doing? Again, he is including everyone and inviting all to come and be with him a little later today. Once again, we're gonna go into a table that Jesus is once again the host of. And, uh, and, and this wasn't a new thing for Jesus either to be sitting at the table with this special, dis- um, this special dinner party with undeserving people. Jesus had been around undeserving people his whole life. He was born to an undeserving mom. He was raised by an undeserving father. He had undeserving brothers and sisters. Um, he went to synagogue with undeserving people all his whole life. And yet he is willing, happy to dine and, and, and have, sit at table with undeserving people. And peop- undeserving people are also drawn to Jesus at this event and always because these sinners, tax collectors, scribes, and Pharisees alike, they all see something in Jesus that's very, very different. Jesus never sins. That just absolutely was a fascinating and captivating. He doesn't partake in our sinful behaviors. He doesn't condone our sinful behaviors, but he meets them with truth and undeserved love and grace. And he calls people to repentance, to turn away from sin, turn away from the ideology that's proposed in this world by the devil and even our own flesh. And he calls us to turn away from that and turn to him, to turn our allegiance from those things and turn our allegiance to him. And so Jesus, um, when he meets with us, he's calling us to action. He's calling us to turn. And uh, now in grace, Jesus is there at the table to minister love, grace, and truth and win back all these unworthy sinners. Now this was outrageous to the Pharisees. And one of the reasons why this might be outrageous is, doesn't it seem like self-righteous are always outraged by grace? Doesn't it seem like self-righteous? If they've got a, a, a standard that they claim to live to, and then Jesus comes along and says, well, your standard is doesn't measure up to my standard, but I'm going to love you and bring you along. I'm going to save you Anyway when their standards are challenged, that's outrages the people who are self-righteous. And so in verse 16, here we have the question that I mentioned earlier. And now verse 16, at the dinner party, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why? Why does he eat with tax collectors? And sinners. Well, the Pharisees basically thought that they were the righteous ones in society, based on their works. Here was Jesus giving grace to all sinners. And um, if you ever wondered what was the Pharisees' deal, why were they just so self-righteous? Why, did, when Jesus shows up, why did this, this? Why did they? This guy really bugs us. Well, once again. Um, I'm not an expert in the Mishnah, but this, again, once again, was this oral tradition that, uh, that uh, the rabbis thought about themselves. This is what one rabbi named Rabbi Meyer wrote in the Mishnah in the second century. This is what the Pharisees and the scribes thought about themselves. This is, this is what they, how they described themselves. He that occupies himself with the study of the law is deserving of the whole world. He is called friend, beloved of God, lover of God, lover of mankind, and it clothes him with humility and reverence and fits him to become righteous, saintly, upright, and faithful, and it keeps him far from sin and near to virtue, and from him men enjoy counsel and sound knowledge, understanding, and might. So why are all these people flocking to Jesus when they should be flocking to us because we're so wonderful, the scribes and the Pharisees thought? Well, You know, they thought they were so righteous. But have the scribes and the Pharisees ever kept the whole law that they try and enforce on everybody? No, no, they haven't. No one has. Um, If they've broken one law, told one little lie, taken one thing that was not theirs, had one impure thought, according to God's law, they were sinners. We're all the same. We're all in the same boat. The scribes and the Pharisees Also known as the self-righteous, they labeled everybody else who was not like them as sinners. Now, the thing of it is, this could, in their thinking, this could mean rank and file Jews uh, who could not commit to in-depth study of God's law. Did everybody have books? Could they go to Barnes and Noble and pick up a copy of the Torah? No. And so where the scribes and Pharisees were supposed to be inclusive and sharing all this stuff of God's law and God's truth and everything with everyone. No, they used that as a means to elevate themselves and exclude others. And so in the Pharisees and uh, scribes' definition, uh, when they were calling talking about sinners, um, in their eyes, okay, this is their eyes, this is not what God's word says, but they, they would think of people as being wicked. They were reprobate, morally unprincipled people who are predestined for damnation. So in the Pharisees' eyes, what's the point? They don't follow the law, they don't know the law, they don't do the stuff we do, so they're, they're damned already. And uh, so, um, and of course, they love lists. It's like, um, they just go crazy for lists. And uh, for uh, the categories of sinners that in their day who they labeled as sinners, uh, they labeled gamblers, money lenders, people who race doves for sport. Anybody out here racing doves for sport? There's grace for you and forgiveness. But uh, um, uh, yeah, dove racing, man, that's that's evil, wicked. Anyway, but. Um, uh, people who traded on the Sabbath year. Have you anybody traded on the Sabbath year? Okay, anyway, Okay, thieves, the violent, shepherds. Shepherds, yeah, they were the worst. Tax collectors. Um, uh, some were just criminals, but others were just laborers and commoners who were too poor, too ignorant to live up to the rules of the religious authorities. And the, the scribes and the Pharisees saw them all as morally unprincipled, predestined for damnation. Who are these sinners and tax collectors that Jesus is sitting with? How could he do that? How could he do that? And they're asking this of Jesus' disciples. That's an interesting one. Why didn't Why didn't they have the guts to go up to Jesus himself and say it to his face? No, they're being kind of sneaky. They're being kind of sly, and and they ask the question of the disciples, the people that are following Jesus, and they're trying to maybe when those disciples back to their way of thinking, why are you thinking so highly of Jesus when you should be thinking highly of us instead? And they, and they ask him, why does he, how is it, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? What's amazing to me is I love Jesus' response to this because he is the king, he is full of grace and truth, Jesus doesn't throw these guys out, but he challenges them. Verse 17 of our passage. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And here we come to the main point of our story for today. Jesus came to heal those who knew they're sick. He didn't come to call the righteous because basically, are there any righteous people? Are there any righteous people? Romans 3.10, uh, Romans 3.10 gives us the answer. It says, as it is written, no, none is righteous. Not, no, not, not one. Not, no one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So all of us are undeserving, unworthy sinners. And so what is our common fatal disease that we have? We're all sick with sin. And what's the one thing that can keep you from Jesus? Think about it. Is it your sin that keeps you from Jesus? Yeah, but not really. Jesus has saved murderers, adulterers, thieves, slave traders, racists. He's saved and forgiven them all. And they're all experiencing eternal life. But think about this. The one person who won't ever taste salvation is the one who thinks that he or she doesn't need Jesus. It's the person who thinks they're good enough all on their own. Thanks, I'm good, I'm fine. I don't need Jesus. And this is kind of, if you think about it, is spiritual blindness because, you know, truthfully, we all have sinned. We need Jesus to heal us and save our eternal souls from the disease of sin. And again, what is sin? It's this mindset and condition of our heart that we were all born with because of the overarching presence of sin in our world. And this this whole creation is infected by sin. And sin says that, as you remember, it says that it thinks that God's not good, his word isn't true, I know better, and we'll replace him with something else. Usually it's ourselves. And one of the elements of this disease is thinking, again, hey, I'm good on my own because I've replaced God. But are we good on our own? No, no one is. We're not good on our own. And let me ask you again that question that I posed at the outset of our our, uh, uh, time this morning. What is it about you that makes Jesus want to have fellowship with you? It's your understanding that you need him that you are sick with sin, and he alone has the cure. That's what makes Jesus want to have fellowship with each one of us. When we say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, I'm sick with sin, you have the only answer. You have the only cure for the disease that's going to infect my life for eternity if I don't come to you and get it handled. Jesus is the only answer. So, so if you see your need that you are sick with sin, And lost and without hope, and you see that Jesus is the only answer to heal, restore, and give you hope for your life for now and eternity. What should you do? Well, Jesus said the call for his kingdom is to repent and trust in him and follow him. Turn away from your sin and trust in him. He came for each one of us to heal us and save us from an eternal life of death and damnation and separation from him and so we're talking about our great physician Jesus who's come to heal us and how did he heal us well the infection that was in us he went to the cross and took that infection upon himself the, the world of sin he took it on himself and 2 Corinthians 5:21 kind of explains this kind of the, the, the transaction that happened For our sake, he, God the Father, made Jesus Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The one person who ever walked this planet without sin, Jesus Christ, got treated as though he'd done every sin, and God the Father poured out his wrath for sin upon his son Jesus. He was the perfect, pure sacrifice, died for our sin in our place. And now Jesus... Because he's taken that punishment. He gives to us something that he had, his cure. It's his righteousness. So that before God, now we're seen as righteous, forgiven. And we get eternal life with him, a new life, a new heart. And so as we think about how our sin sickness was treated and cured at the cross, let's think about this just to, so we can all remember our. Uh, how our sin was dealt with. Um, Isaiah 53, starting at verse four. And if you would, would you read this with me? Is it big enough that you can see it? This is the cure for our sin that was promised by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 53, verse four. Read it with me if you would. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Among him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. The great physician, Jesus Christ, treated and cured our sin that separated us from God by dying in our place and placing his righteousness on us. And the only way to receiving this is by admitting that we're sick with sin and Jesus Christ, the great physician who not only made you and now by his sacrifice and resurrection is the only answer, the only remedy to save you and heal you from eternal death and now give you a new forgiven eternal life. So we've had the what and the so what uh, and now let's take a look at the now what. Well, what do we do? Now, that we know this. Well, first of all, we need to confess our sin and put our trust in Jesus Christ and follow him. Um, Let me say that again. Confess your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ and follow him. You know, thinking about uh, what's offered to us, it's like if we know something's just not right. We're not feeling right. We know something's not right in our lives. We just don't feel good. So we go to a doctor, and he says, Oh, well, you're sick. Oh, okay, the reason why I don't feel well is because I'm sick, and the doctor prescribes a medicine. You go to the pharmacy, you pick up that medicine, you bring that medicine home, and then you let that medicine sit on the counter. Oh, then you put it over on the coffee table. You only look at it, maybe once a week, maybe twice a year. You never take it. But then you think, well, I didn't feel that bad. Well, but you still... Get worse, and then when you're dying, you kind of wonder, "Wow, gosh, there was a medicine I should have taken, wasn't it?" Though I was getting worse, I thought, "Well, I didn't need to take the medicine because I felt I was doing okay without it." But then sickness comes, and sometimes it will take its toll. But in the spiritual area, Jesus offers a cure that we need to take advantage of today. And like in our episode today from the Gospel of Mark, just like Levi, the tax collector, the outsider, the one who was dying because of his sin and had rejected God, Jesus, the great physician, came to him, and he comes to us right now as well. Jesus, the great physician, is right here, right now. He's come to us and by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and by his word, the Bible, Jesus is calling to each one of us. And like Levi, we need to make that decision to get up, be joined to Jesus, and leave behind. We don't have tax collector booth and tax collector stuff, but we've got a world of sin that we've been attached to before. Now we need to leave that behind and join ourselves to Jesus Christ and follow him and put our allegiance with him and follow him and his ways. So it's it's not enough to come to church and enjoy the songs, the conversations, and then go back and live like the devil the rest of the week. As you think about our dinner party, who got saved at this dinner party? We don't know. Maybe Levi was the only one. Who knows? Well, Jesus' followers probably, but it's just not enough to come to the dinner party. It's not enough. We've got to make that decision to be joined to Jesus and to follow him. Now, and so, and now also like Levi, who invited all his tax collector friends to meet Jesus at a dinner party, we need to have a desire to share this good news, this cure for our sin with the people that we know who are also sick around us, like we once were, and tell them about the one and only cure for what's ailing everyone in this world. It's sin. We need to give them. We found the answer. We found the antidote. We found the cure. And it's one person. It's Jesus Christ. And so, like at the beginning of uh, today's story, we need to follow our Savior's example. And look at what Jesus did. He went out. He went out to people. He went out by the lakeside to teach people and present the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And as he was out, he passed by, and he saw, he came, and he stopped at Levi's tax booth to call him to himself. And then Jesus went to Levi's house for this dinner. He went to dinner with undeserving, unworthy people because he loved them and he had grace and mercy and he knew he had the answer to heal them. Jesus' ministry was characterized by action. He was a physician who made house calls. He went to people. He engaged with people where they were. So let's let this sin sick world know that Jesus Christ is our only cure, our only hope, and our only way. Amen. Amen. Uh, next, in a way, Jesus is going to eat with us right now, and Jesus invites us as His people to His table so that we can remember and celebrate um, this His gift, His healing for our sin, his restoration that he alone can provide through his sacrifice on the cross and his work on our, in our lives as we follow him today. Now the bread and the juice, they're not the cure. They're not the cure, but they do remind us that Jesus himself, he alone is the cure. Well, we'll take up our offering and then we'll celebrate the Lord's table together, but would you please pray with me first? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and um, uh, we know we're undeserving. We know we're unworthy. Um, The world tells us this. Self-righteous people tell us this. Yeah, your word tells us this, too, but Lord Jesus, you came. You came to take our disease upon yourself, pay the price for it. You died and rose again, and we can receive absolute healing in you by faith, through grace, by trusting in you, Lord Jesus. I pray for uh, everyone listening who right now is saying, I need to answer your call. Lord, I pray that uh, you'd help them to um, see that they need you and that you are here today to join yourself to them, offer your cure, and so that you can give them your eternal life your forgiveness, a new heart, a heart of flesh, and a desire to follow you and uh, to emulate your life. Lord, we ask these things. Help us to uh, find opportunities to go as you did, to go out to people and share the gospel, to share with people the cure that we found, the joy that we found in you, because, Lord, we're, at heart, we were sick as well in sin, but now we can have forgiveness through trusting in you, Lord Jesus. Father, we pray for this year ahead here in 2023, this could going to be a year of uh, uh, us surrendering to you in new ways that we haven't thought of before. Lord, we'll be looking to you for uh, victories in our hearts and in our lives because we're going to give you um, total control and dominance and preeminence in our lives. So, Father, again, we look ahead for 2023, and Lord, we pray that you'd be glorified in your people, in your church Lord, grow your church. We ask all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.